0: Welcome to the Sixer Cents Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Cents Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein, and our producer, Uriah Young. We have a special guest on. Uh, she is one of our contributors, and she is the first woman to ever guest on our podcast here. Everybody welcome, Ashley Fultz. Uh, how are we doing, Ashley?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on.
1: Glad to have you, fellas. How are we doing tonight? Good, good. It's great to be here. It's
0: great to have Ashley. And uh, after my Ben Simmons article today, I, I hope I don't get too many death threats in the morning. Just thought I'd throw it
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> that we could do a whole entire podcast on just that, but we're not. We're, we're not doing that today. No, no, it's, not today. <laughs> maybe next week, Uriah. Uh, you About know, the coaches. We, it's, the coaches it's, right yeah, it's the coaches right now. Yes, the coaches right now so we have a lot to talk about here we talked a lot on our last podcast almost nearly two hours we're we're not planning on having this one nearly as long but we do have a couple of things to talk about and chris is going to bring us in on our first subject pertaining to elton brand's most recent press uh press conference so take it away chris
3: yeah so shortly after brett brown was fired last week elton brand uh, spoke to the media about a great many subjects um you know, he kind of talked about the changes he expects to make in the front office and, and how he views the Sixers' future or, or near future. Um, we're we're going to talk first and foremost here about the head coaching search and specifically how Brand mentioned that would be handled in the front office. He said he, he will lead that search. Scott O'Neill, the Sixers' CEO, will not play an integral role in that, according to Brand. That's obviously a very large departure from, from how things have worked in the past. Um, with the quote-unquote collaborative front office, it, it does seem like Brand is going to take a much uh, kind of a firmer hold here on the, the power structure. So we'll go to you first, Ashley. Uh, wh- what were your thoughts on, on how Brand seems to be approaching this at coaching search?
2: Um, well, I honestly didn't get a chance to watch the whole entire uh, Ellen Brand press conference. I just did like a – I read through one of the recaps, but, I mean, honestly, I – I have trust in and I really think he is, he's going to do a great job in searching for a new head coach. I really think he understands these players and he understands how this team fits together. So I think he's definitely going to be able to find someone that can um, like bind everyone together, especially Ben and Joe and just work everything together to help fully fix this team.
1: Uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, Brand definitely has his connections, and the NBA has played under a lot of different head coaches. Uh, Actually, one of them recently got fired in Alvin Gentry, so who knows? He's not a name connected to the Sixers yet. But overall, I think in terms of not having Scott O'Neill involved, this is the right move. And uh, we could debate whether or not Brand should still have his job or not. I know Chris doesn't believe that to be the case, but if you're going to, if you're going to keep Brandon power, he needs to be the one that's going to be in power instead of just, you know, uh, collaborative, uh, you know working together as a collaborative, uh, because that hasn't worked And brand admitted that too. So that's how I think about, it. I think brands going to be, needs to be the one, if he's going to stay, he needs to be the one to put the staple stamp on the team. And that includes picking the next head coach.
3: Yeah. I, I think you, you both make good points there, Lucas. Um, I think at this point it's fair to say that we don't really know entirely how Elton Brand works and thinks as a GM. He's still fairly new to the front office in general, and obviously um, we can go back to something Zach Lowe said last week. It's just that the Sixers have had too many voices in the room, too many people with legitimate uh, power and pull in in that collaborative group. So, a lot of these decisions probably haven't been Brand, you know, single-handedly, uh, you know, striking the gavel and making these calls. But at the the same time, the Sixers front office these past couple of years has been so bad on so many levels. Obviously, we can talk about the Tobias and the Al Horford contracts, which are just unforgivable. Uh, but they'll work around the margins as well, not willing to being willing to offer Jimmy Butler a max contract unless he agrees to fairly arbitrary stipulations, stuff like that. It's just really not uh, – it doesn't reflect – well on anyone in that front office and brand as you know the main figurehead the gm at some point has to take some blame for that it, it does seem like he's willing to take accountability he, the sixers have pretty uh, openly admitted failure which is good to see but uh yeah so i think it's fair to say we don't really know what brand looks like as a head decision maker but as far as you know if, if i trust him or not uh, i'm not really sure there and we're going to move on now to uh, what al horford Uh, Al Horford's future looks like on the team and in Brand's uh, opinion he said essentially that the next head coach is going to have to make these pieces work he said specifically that he believes that Al Horford can fit on a you know a championship contending team Uh, presumably he means the Sixers Ashley how do you view Horford's fit at this point do you think a new head coach is really going to make a difference um, as far as Horford's ability to contribute
2: I really was upset like in mid-season with how Horford was fitting within the team and whatnot. But honestly, towards the end and even in the bubble, I wasn't too upset with how he was fitting. I thought he was actually playing pretty well, especially when um, even when Ben wasn't there and how he stepped up and everything. So I think there is a way that he can definitely fit in with this team. Maybe not to the extent that we would want him to, but I definitely can see him fitting the best that he can um and hopefully this next coach will help facilitate that even more um but yeah i think definitely think there is a way that he can fit um even if it's not what we would expect
1: so i definitely agree with ashley on this is that in the fact that um that Horford did look better in the bubble uh, prior to the Celtics series. Cause let's face it, the Celtics is one of the worst matchups for him to be playing power forward at. I think if, and, and here's how I interpreted this because initially, and you guys saw in the group chat that we have on Slack is that I wasn't thrilled when I, when I saw this and I copied him, I took a screenshot of it and I shared it in the group chat of what brand said, but I think you have to put it in perspective like this because uh, we had Stewart on last week and Stuart said it like this: If you're trying to trade a guy, you don't talk about him badly. And notice how Brand didn't say he doesn't fit on he fits on the Sixers, but he said he fits mm-hmm. on a championship-contending team. So may, uh, my guess is that he's trying to sell Horford high. If if anything in that regard, you know, you're not going to talk about a player that you're trying you would you wouldn't mind getting rid of. I don't think. And you know, and on the flip side, he's definitely you know putting the it on the next head coach to make Horford work, which I think would be as a reserve at this point. You know, maybe playing next to Joel when Ben's off the court. It just depends on matchups. Like Celtics are not a good matchup. Warriors probably aren't a good match. You know, pl- teams that play small are not a good matchup for uh, Horford at the four. But there are definitely teams where you know that that. That front court of uh, Horford and Joel can definitely work, so that's how I feel about it in terms of making it work. but I also think Brand might have been trying to sell Horford high team like maybe the Houston Rockets don't who don't have a true center. they could trade uh Eric Gordon for Horford, you know Gordon has his you know issue, health issues, but at the same time he's a much better fit to what Philly needs versus what Horford is. So maybe it's bad contract for bad contract, better situation for both players, but we'll have to wait and see on that for sure. But I think overall,
3: I, I, am not,
1: I I'm a lot less upset about those Horford comments than I initially was when I heard them.
3: Yeah, I I think you're both right. Um, Lucas, of course, Ellen Brand's not going to come out and, and speak poorly on Horford. Um, a, because he, he is a good teammate and, and a good person to have in the locker room. I don't think anyone's going to question him on that front. And B, you mm-hmm. want to keep his engagement um, in the event that he is back next year. And, you know, you want to make him feel like he can still contribute. So, of course, that's you know just kind of a stock answer at that point for, for someone like Elton. But as far as if he can contribute to the Sixers in a championship contention capacity... I'm, I'm not sure, just because we know for a fact that the Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Ben Simmons trio on the court just just doesn't work. I don't know if there's a way to make it work. He, he just cuts into their space too much, and, and they cut into his, conversely. Um, of course, Al Horford is more than fine as, like, a backup center. Um, again, he played fairly well in the bubble before the playoffs, so he, he's not a bad player even at this point, but when you're paying him $100 million and when... His goal at this point has to be to contribute to a team that has Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on it, two players who take up a lot of space in the paint. I, I really don't see it. Uh, I do think he would be a lot better on, on other contenders maybe. Um, but we, we talked about this on last week's episode and, um, and plenty of episodes in the past. I just don't know who's going to trade for him at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Sixers will have to get creative. They'll have to you know put some trade feelers out there and, and see what happens. Um, does anyone else have anything to say on Horford before we move on?
1: <laughs> no, that, that I'm i uh, I'm pretty sad on, we could talk for about Horford for an hour, but I think that's a good stopping point for me anyway.
3: Yeah, I agree. We probably could. Um, so to kind of wrap up this point about Elton, he he did say that the Sixers are going to evaluate the front office in its entirety and make changes that they feel necessary. Again, We've talked about it ad nauseum on the site and on this podcast about the power structure and all the different voices. You know, Ned Cohen, Alex Rucker, formerly Mark Eversley, folks of that nature. Um, Brand City's going to, to bring in more basketball minds, quote unquote. Not really sure what that means. That's something we can get into. But. At the end of the day, they still haven't made any changes. The draft is about a month and a half, two months away. We're we're coming up on that. We're coming up on presumably a new head coach and head coaching search. So you would think they would want to get this front office thing uh, figured out as soon as possible. And yet here we are with, with no changes yet. Ashley, what are your overall thoughts just in general on how the front office looks right now? Is there anyone in particular you think needs to be fired or a way that things can be rearranged? And... Uh, We'll, we'll go further after that.
2: Um, so there's no one in particular that I could like pinpoint, but I feel like it's it's crazy that we're even talking about this right now because I feel like this is something that we should have taken care of like earlier on, and even like especially after the Clarendellio area era and everything um, should have had some adjustments and evaluations made back then and I feel like it's just gone on for way too long. I'm glad that he's saying that there will be evaluations now, and he's going to be overlooking everything. But like you said, the draft is coming up, so they need to get stuff done quick. But at the same time, I feel like that's just going to create, like, they're going to be rushing into it, and um, we don't want any, like, rash decisions and whatnot. So I honestly don't know what they're going to do, but... Um, hopefully, it'll all work out, and I don't know what he meant by basketball minds specifically, but uh, hopefully, that uh helps us out in the long run. I don't really know, but we'll see.
1: So, yeah, for me, there's no particular person in mind in terms of changing up the front office. I mean, you could definitely look at Alex Rucker or Ned. But overall, I mean, there's no, I don't, I still don't even completely understand who does what in that front office. I mean, I know they have titles, but it seems like everybody has to say so. So, maybe you just wipe them clean, like scorch earth policy that you have about the front office. I mean, obviously you keep Brandon in place because you know he's not losing his job. But maybe you just get them, rid of them all and start over. You could bring in Matt Lilly, who's uh, the GM of the Bluecoats right now. I know, you know, obviously follow that same you know have him as a front office personnel then you now here's an idea that I've had is that I know that the Sixers and we'll talk about this in a little bit that the Sixers are connected to Ty Lue. I have heard a recent rumor I believe it was on uh, the Jumper you know one of those ESPN outlets that Ty Lu has had uh, conversations with Chauncey Billups about wherever he goes next that he would want Chauncey to come with him either as a uh, most likely as an assistant but we all know Chauncey Billups, former all-star, Mr. Big Shot himself. Um, he wants to be a – he's had aspirations to be, work in a front office. He's the type of basketball mind I would Im- I would imagine Brand is talking about. You could bring in Chauncey Billups either as an assistant coach or as a front office exec. Bring in former – I think you would probably have a couple more former players or former coaches that would be basketball minds. We saw with the Clippers and uh, – What's his last? I know his last name is Lawrence, but what's his first name? Uh, he used to be a coach of the Nets at one point, um, but uh, I forget his first name. But he's he's he used to work on Doc Rivers' uh, staff, and now he's the GM of the um, Clippers. So you could go for former coaches. Or I think his name is, I think his name is
0: Lawrence Frank. Lucas. Yeah, that's it, Lawrence yeah. Frank.
1: That's it. My mistake. Yes, So Lawrence Frank, uh, former head coach. You you know you look at. You know, people of that ilk, I would imagine, for basketball minds, you know, either on the college or professional level. So that's – in terms of basketball minds, that's what uh, that's what comes to mind. But you could just go scorch earth and get rid of the whole entire front office. I think he should, honestly, if he wants to have his staple on the team, get rid of all of them and then start fresh.
3: Yeah, I agree on that front. I think if, if they're going to stick with Elton Brand, which seems to be pretty clearly the case – uh, you got to at least give him some sort of control so you really see what you have there. Uh, you know, all the former Colangelo holdovers, as I've said many times here on the site, wherever, need to go Alex Rucker, Ned Cohen, all of that, that bunch. Um, but as far as the basketball minds comment, that would imply that there are people in the front office right now who aren't basketball minds, which would be a bit concerning considering that they're in a basketball front office. But. Uh, I think it has something to do with analytics. The Sixers have been uh, known to have one of the more analytic-heavy front offices in the league, which I don't think is a bad thing by any stretch. I think analytics are an important part of understanding the game. Uh, But, uh, you know, someone like Alex Rucker probably takes the fall there. He's known as an analytics guy. But to imply that, you know, analytic people aren't basketball minds I think is a a bit... Ridiculous at this point, and to imply that someone like Alex Rucker or whoever wouldn't watch basketball games is a bit ridiculous. So the phrase in general basketball minds kind of, kind of rubs me the wrong way, just because uh, it, it seems a little bit outdated. But we'll we'll see what Brand does. We'll see where this front office goes from here. Uh Again, I'm not really confident that the Sixers are going to be as forceful and, and make, you know, be as thorough as they need to be in making these changes. That's just not their their M.O. at this point, uh, at least not not with this ownership group. So we'll see. Um, it, it, it's really, you know, who knows at this point.
1: That's a fair point, Chris. So I want to move on because we're talking about the front office, but obviously the head coaching. Search is already underway. The Sixers have been tied to at least four names, and we got a fifth one on here that we're going to talk about at the end. But so, I'm going to go through the list of these guys that the Sixers have been connected to. I want your guys' thoughts. We're going to start with Ashley. Ashley, how would you feel if Jason Kidd was the next head coach of the Sixers?
2: So, I I know he had he has had like he's had some good NBA experience as a head coach so far. Uh, he's even won, like, a playoff series. Uh, I think he can also relay pretty well with Simmons um, and help him facilitate his growth overall. But I know I've seen a lot of people that are kind of worried about his personal qualities. I know there's some misdemeanors in his past and some red flags. And I know people can change for the better and that people should get second chances. But I know people are... Um, pretty worried about him being problematic um and you know Brett Brown was such like a people person and all the players and staff loved him so that is something that worries me so I'm not really sure how I would feel about Jason Kidd coaching but uh I don't know I think I'm kind of leaning towards no on him I don't know not a huge fan but yeah,
3: I, I yeah. get
1: that, I, and Chris, I know where exactly where you're going, but go ahead and let the people know
3: Yeah, no, you're dead on, Ashley um, From a basketball perspective, it, it sort of maybe makes sense You know, he's a former point guard, can relate to Ben Simmons You could even go as far as he wasn't a great three-point shooter and improved over time uh, He obviously related to Giannis well when he was in Milwaukee um, Giannis really liked him there so from a relating-to-stars standpoint, I, I understand that. But um, as, like, a person and a human being, I, I, I really don't know. Like you said, Ashley, I, I'm all for giving people a chance to improve over time and, and become better people. But uh, he has multiple instances, you know, of alleged domestic abuse in his past, DUIs, stuff of that nature. Uh, it has been you know, over an extended period of time, there's no real indication that he has shown you know the proper remorse or the proper growth. So you know, as, like you said, going from someone as, as decent and as good a person as Brett Brown to to Jason Kidd would kind of just break my heart. Uh, and he really just wasn't that good a coach in in Brooklyn or Milwaukee. So yeah, it's a no for me, uh, a hard no, a hard pass. Uh, yeah, just you know zero percent not gonna get my endorsement.
1: I kinda figure that would be your answer, Chris, because we've talked about this on multiple occasions privately. Um, my biggest concern with Kid beyond the, the stuff that you guys have mentioned is that he's clashed with front offices both with the Nets and with the Bucks. And with Ellen Brand trying to establish his authority, that's just not a good marriage. So that's that's my biggest red flag for kid in terms of you know his fit with the Sixers right now. So then there's uh, now this is the throwback candidate. He actually was the Sixers head coach in the mid '90s as well as their front office exec. He's known for helping uh, players get through addictions uh, with substances, and uh, and then this is the of course the great John Lucas, former NBA point guard. Um, so guys, John Lucas has, is interested in giving the job a second go around. Any thoughts on, uh, bringing back Lucas?
2: I don't know. I mean, he definitely is more of a people person than a kid, but I don't know. He, he doesn't have the best, like, he didn't have the best record when he was in Philly. And, you know, Lucas mentioned in his uh, article that he wrote, he only had what, two two out of six winnings, or two yep. winning seasons out of the six seasons that he coached.
1: And, and I believe that was both with San Antonio, if I remember yeah.
2: correctly. So I definitely think he'd be able to connect with the team and connect with the city of Philadelphia pretty easily, but like his coaching ability, I don't really know his coaching ability offhand too much. i have to look into it more, but I, I'm kind of in the middle for him right now. I think I'd have to do a little bit more research on him.
1: He's currently the Rockets... Um, actually, just to let you know, he's currently the Rockets uh, player development coach, which I don't even know if it really works for the Rockets because they don't have any young players. But, yeah, yeah, that's just what he's doing right now.
2: Okay, yeah, I did see that. I just... I don't know too much other than that about him, so...
1: Well, this is an interesting yeah. fact, guys. About uh, Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, I'll go like, for it. I was just going to say, it's interesting because both stops in Philadelphia and the C- Cleveland Cavaliers was the last team he was the head coach of. Uh, his seasons in Philly, his two seasons in Philly, led up to the Sixers selecting Allen Iverson, and his seasons with the Cavs were in 2001 and 2002, and of course in 2003 is when they drafted LeBron James. So... Mm-hmm. Interesting uh, side note there, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, Chris. Go ahead. No,
3: no, I I do think it's worth noting, though, that that means his two most recent head coaching stints ended with their teams picking number one in the draft, which does usually not suggest uh, success overall, so I do think that's important to take note of. Um, Yeah, as far as Lucas, you know, someone whose last stint as a head coach in the NBA came in 2003. Just doesn't really excite me. Um, you know, the Rockets in general have, have been, I think, pretty good as far as player development goes. Obviously, mm-hmm. that goes beyond young players. You know, James Harden obviously continues to just add new layers to his game. Someone like PJ Tucker becoming what he's become as a center, essentially at six foot five. So I, I do think Houston has made a lot out of their pieces there, and I'm sure Lucas gets credit, but. Um, as far as his limited coaching success and that coaching success being so far in the past at this point, uh, it's even if he is, you know, a good person who could maybe a match Brett Brown's spirit in that sense, uh, it's really not a name that excites me.
1: So, for me, if we're looking for a coach with a count that can hold players accountable, obviously, John Lucas is one of the best the business for that uh with his you know see his program with athletes as a whole you know helping them get out of tough spots uh but in terms of x and his o's his track record speaks speaks for itself so i'm not really thrilled on that and we're if the sixers were rebuilding sure john lucas might make sense but they're not They're in. they're trying to contend so john lucas does not make sense for them right now in my opinion but uh, you know who does make sense, at least in my opinion. And I'll get into this after you guys say your, your parts on it. But Tyro Liu was one of the first name that was connected to the Sixers. So, Ashley, your thoughts on Lue becoming the head coach? Uh,
2: so, I mean, he did help the Cavs win their first NBA title. And he has had, like, lots of playoff success. Um, he gets along really well with players and staff. So that would be a nice transition. Yeah. Um, going from Brett Brown being such a uh, such a Philly guy and such a, a players guy and staff person, uh, it would be a nice ease into a new coach to be able to like someone and have the players and staff like him. But then, on the other hand, um, he's going to have to deal with a lot of the issues I don't think he hasn't really dealt with before. Like, He's not. He's had LeBron to. I feel like to lean on a lot of the time, and so he relied heavily on superstar like LeBron, and he's never really had to de- oh, deal with or work with two superstars that are so unique like Simmons and Embiid. So it'd be interesting to see how he would be able to do all that. But I mean, I think I feel like it would be a a different kind of transition for him, but that's a hard task to uphold.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Lou is by all accounts a very creative offensive coach. He, he, he did a lot of good things in Cleveland. But like you said, Ashley, I, I do think it's a bit hard to evaluate coaches um, objectively when they, they have LeBron James on their team because that, that's just such a – he does so much regardless of coaching. But I, I do think Lou is a good coach. We know that he was able to hold LeBron accountable in a way few coaches have been in the past. I think that dynamic would work very well with Joel and and Ben Simmons. Um, so I think Lou's a good coach. I think he would be a pretty solid choice. The The one thing that, that stands out for me with Lou is that he has reportedly you know, demanded $7 million a year for five years, which is a pretty hefty contract um, for a head coach. The Sixers still have $10 million to pay Brett Brown over the next few years. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. The uh, financial situation for the NBA is, is not great right now. So as for whether or not the Sixers and Sixers' ownership would be willing to pay that kind of money for a new head coach, fresh off a firing one, um, is, I don't know. I don't know if I, I would buy it. I think Lou might price himself out of the Sixers' job. But we'll see how much they're, they're willing to put on the line there.
1: So, Lou is one of my top two candidates for this job, but me personally that I think would be the, be able to do the best job. The other one is Sam Cassell. He hasn't been connected to the, um, to the Sixers yet, but um, Lou makes a lot of sense for me for all the reasons that you guys have already said. Um, my concern is obviously is that he lost all six games his first year without LeBron before getting fired by the Cavs but I you know they didn't really have anything to work with so I don't really know if I, that's even fair on Lou
3: um and we, I think we also need to talk about the step over and just how that <laughs> oh happened. yeah yeah go, ahead, Chris, go for it because I, I don't really know what to say about it it's just that we should acknowledge that that has happened and that would yeah. be kind of hilarious to have you know Lou for, as the for, head coach for... with Iverson yeah uh, I mean, they're oh good friends. They, they yeah. I don't even know what, what to say about it. I just thought I was worth bringing up. <laughs> for for those be- for those young fans yeah. that didn't see it, <laughs> um, that when it happened
1: back in the two thousand one NBA Finals, Lou was part of the Los Angeles Lakers, and I, Allen Iverson, the great Allen Iverson, was leading the Sixers, and Allen Iverson did a crossover on Lou, broke his ankles, drained a three, and then stepped over top of uh, stepped over him uh After the, the shot So and of course that was One of the biggest forms of trash I don't know it's not trash talk But one of the biggest forms of disrespect Ever seen in the NBA uh, Without actually throwing a fist Or a ball at somebody so um Yeah that's. Uh, I would assume that they probably would not Bring that up any time ever If we became the head coach but it would Definitely <laughs> be uh, A sensitive spot I, I don't know if it would be a Sensitive spot but it would be a Awkward situation, the uh, conversation to ever have with Blue, for sure.
3: But to yeah, move on, the other, oh, go ahead, Chris. I mean, like the Sixer social media team would need to edit the step over out of like all the Allen Iverson homages, like every year. Is that, <laughs> is that really fair to AI? Tough though?
1: Work is that fair, Ashley? Do you think that would be fair to AI to <laughs> take that that iconic no. image seen out of out of his uh, uh, montage?
2: See, I feel like. I feel like the Sixers, like social media, would be all over that. Like yeah. I know it would be a maybe a hard spot for uh, for Tyloo, but I feel like it's kind of he probably thinks it's funny now, and he's gonna need to like just get used to it if he's gonna be in Philly. <laughs> so I feel like they're gonna be all over that. It's gonna be everywhere. It's gonna be memed. It's I think it's, it would be pretty funny, honestly.
1: What if, Alan, yeah. what if Ty Lue brought Allen Iverson in as an assistant Oh, coach? my gosh. <laughs> and then they recreated it they, in I practice as a that. joke.
3: That
2: would be you incredible.
1: Know, I, you know, AI has talked about wanting to help be more involved, so I don't see why not. Maybe not as a full-time assistant, but maybe as like a part, I don't know, like a home game. I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I could totally see them making a joke and trying to recreate it in
2: oh, yeah.
1: practice. If, if not... Lou himself, I could definitely see Joelle and somebody else yeah. recreating it and yeah. making it re- like a really funny joke, just to haze Lou, but I think Lou
0: yeah. would have taken him can i
4: can oh, i jump yeah.
1: can I jump
0: in and just add my two cents <laughs> uh, go, as go the, ahead as the elder statesman on this on this call right now, I recall I know exactly where I was when that happened when Lou stepped over, and for the next whatever nineteen whatever years. Um, since then that every time I see Lou, that's all I see. So if you're a 70, <laughs> if you're a 76ers fan, you just imagine AI stepping over top of him and you see Mark Madsen, you see Isaiah Ryder, you see Brian Shaw, everybody on the bench looking at their teammate, just getting completely decimated. Just, just anything him as a basketball player was just done. Now translating to the NBA as a coach, I mean, did he really coach the Cavaliers to a championship with LeBron, Kyrie, and the Kevin Love? I don't know. But I, I, I'm i not a big fan of Lou coming to the Sixers. And that image of him getting stepped over will always be etched in my memory.
3: Carry I, on. I, I, I will just say, for, for the Lou and Cleveland comment— that's pretty much the same thing everyone said about Eric Spoelstra in Miami. Yeah, that's true. And he—he's one of the three or four best coaches in the league hands down. So, uh, it, it's hard to kind of you know evaluate a coach when LeBron's on the team. But I do think overall, Lou's a pretty pretty smart basketball dude.
1: So, so, and and it's good that you you brought up the fact that you don't like uh, Lou as a candidate, Uriah, because you recently not not today's article. We're not going to get into today's article, but. Earlier this uh, week, you you uh, or this weekend, I ever get exactly which day published. I think it was in the past like two or three days. But you wrote about how Jay Wright should be the next head coach. <laughs> Jay so, Wright, me baby, Jay Wright, me on the main line. <laughs> Bring him out. So, so for two. those that for those that live under a rock in Philadelphia, Jay Wright is the head coach of Villanova, <laughs> and uh, so and he's been he's won how many championships has he won with Villanova? One or two two. I think it's two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ashley, how would you feel if Jay Wright became the head coach?
2: So as a Nova basketball fan, I would personally love to see Jay Wright on the sideline next season. You know, he's like we said, he won two national titles with Nova Philadelphia already absolutely adores him. Um, He's developed a lot of college players into NBA stars Uh, So overall, I think he would be honestly a great candidate um, and a great choice for the Sixers. But, of course, there's the obvious, um, can he make the transition from college coaching to the NBA? A lot of coaches have proved that it's a pretty hard transition. But from what I've seen as him as a coach, I really think he would be a good fit in the NBA. Um, Just how he connects with players and staff and everything Um, I think he would be a good fit, to be honest. He's definitely my favorite candidate so far. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, Villanova has been pretty much one of the premier, like, college to NBA programs as far as developing players. It's pretty much a pro-style system. Um, I I think we all uh, know and acknowledge Wright's, um, you know, abilities on that front. Um, I am a bit worried, though, just about bringing in a college coach. Uh, given the Sixers situation, you have two, you know, superstars with superstar personalities. One might say in Embiid and Simmons in a roster that really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense at this point. Um, and, and just given all the drama, you know, manufactured or, or legitimate around this team, it would be a pretty uh, difficult situation for a college coach getting his first uh, you know, run in the NBA, but uh, I do think Wright's a good coach, and he's definitely a candidate. I, w- I would be interested in if he was willing to to leave Villanova. So
1: for me, I'm not a huge fan of college guys that coming up into the NBA. You know, we saw this season John Beeline crash and burn, and I love John Beeline. You know, I followed him back when he was the coach of West Virginia. He built a powerhouse program in Michigan. And he just couldn't relate to the players. Uh, you know, he lost the voice in the locker room pretty quick there. Um, and, you know, his system just didn't work in the NBA, which is a shame overall. Um, but then you have guys, and, you know, b not the first failed coach in, uh, in the NBA that came from college. you got Rick Pitino, John Calipari. Um, oh, gosh, I had another one recently, too, that I can't remember off the top of my head. But the guys, like, you know, those type of guys, they, they didn't make it, and you know they they they're considered like greats in you know college ranks. But then you have other guys like um, you know Billy Donovan, who I thought was going to flame out, but he did, He has done a phenomenal job with the Thunder. All things considering, what they've been through the last couple of seasons, um, and then you still got Brad Stevens. And I, I find the younger guys in college usually do better. At least that's my understanding of it um, from what I've seen. And Jay Wright's kind of on that borderline of getting almost a little bit too old, but we don't know for sure. If somebody could tell me his actual age, I'm just – I don't know his age. I'm just going based off appearance here. But um, I, I'm i not saying – like Chris said, he's, you know, he's manufactured a lot of NBA talent. Kyle Lowry did one of the biggest names, I would say. Um, but plenty of NBA talent has come out of Villanova, but I think it's just one of those things that I don't, first off, I don't know if he would do it. Secondly, if he does, i you know, not Philly's not the best situation to come into in terms of first-time NBA head coach.
3: Yeah, um, Jay Wright is 58, so he's a year younger than Brett Brown. Um, I I think that's a good point, Lucas. I'm I'm really not excited about you know, right just because of the the risk that comes with bringing a college coach to the NBA but he, he's far from the worst candidate that's been mentioned in the mm. vicinity of Philadelphia so you, you could do a lot worse
1: for sure now this next person that we're going to mention we she has not been attached to the Sixers in any meaningful way in the media but we talked about her a lot in our last podcast and that's Becky Hammond and so you know Obviously, she's been interviewed. I think she was interviewed for the Bucks o- opening that eventually went to Mike Budenholzer. She's been interested in becoming an NBA head coach for a while. She's uh, she's coached the Spurs summer league team. So, Ashley, if if Becky him becomes a legit possibility for the Sixers, and how would you feel if she became the next head coach?
2: Honestly, I would be ecstatic. She, I feel like she has proved herself. She's been coaching. Um, since she got injured in 2014 she earned the respect of Greg Popovich so I feel like that's an honor within itself um I think just her career like looking over she's played basketball like for her whole life and then coaching I definitely would love if she entered into um the Sixers sphere um and as a woman, I would be so proud. I would be so happy if she became our head coach and the first female head coach in the NBA. I think that would be really incredible.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on board with Becky Hammond. Uh, Stuart was the one who brought it up on last week's episode. And ever since then, it's kind of been lodged in my head. as like, yeah, you know what? That would be a great idea because – Like you said, Ashley, a very successful player. She's worked her way up the coaching ladder in San Antonio very quickly. We've seen, you know, like dozens of San Antonio assistants, it seems at this point, move on to head coaching roles uh, to varying degrees of success. But it's clear that the entire league has a great amount of respect for Popovich and the system that he's built there. And I don't think there's any reason to to disrespect what Hammond has accomplished as a head coach or a, pardon me, an assistant coach at this point. I think it's pretty clear that she knows her stuff and that she is related to the players in that locker room. i would, I would be very happy about that uh, you know, as a move. I think she should at least get an interview if she's she's open to it. And you know, yeah, I'm hundred percent on board. She's one of my you know three or four handful um, you know favorite candidates. So
1: I uh, we've already listed Becky's uh, accolades and you know I'm not gonna try to say that she's not qualified. she is she definitely has qualifications as you guys have already said. she's an, she's a natural leader. We've seen that when she's coached the summer league team. My issue is this and it has nothing to do with her you know her resume or anything beyond that is that the sixers just had a, a Spurs head coach and Brett Brown and Eme Udoka was also from the Spurs tree. I think the Sixers need a change of culture and change of focus. And I think getting away from the Spurs system might, uh, you know, Spurs style might be good for the team in that regard. And I'm not saying that Becky Hammond shouldn't get an interview. I think she should if she's open to it. I just, in my thought process, uh, I would prefer somebody not from the Spurs tree, considering that we just got out out of, you know, Firebrook Brown, who was, you know, for the last seven years, Spurs culture all the way. So, that would be my my feelings on it. I'm not saying that I would I would not be upset if she got hired. I think she would be a good head coach. It's just that my personal opinion, I feel like I would prefer to get somebody not within the Spurs organ from the Spurs organization. It has nothing yeah. to do with her resume or anything otherwise.
3: My my thing with that is we we've seen so many Spurs people from that coaching tree at this point. And they're all pretty different. You know, Mike Budenholzer is not the same as Brett Brown, who's not the same as James Borrego, and so on and so on. So I I don't think we can really lump them all into the same basket there. Um, That's fair. I think Becky Hammond would bring different ideas as a tactician than Brown. Obviously, Mike Budenholzer runs his system extremely different, um, you know, way differently than Brown's. So it's just... I think they're all, you know, their own coaches. I'm included. Um, you know, Popovich is great, and I think we all we all know and respect Popovich and what he's done in San Antonio. But I don't I don't think everyone's just you know like a carbon copy B-rate version of Popovich. Uh, I think they're all uh, going to be distinct. So I, I wouldn't discredit Hammond for for that reason specifically.
1: Oh, and I, I'm not trying to disrespect Popovich or Becky Hammond at all by saying that. I just feel like we're trying to have a culture change, and so maybe, mm-hmm. and you're right that they're, they're, the coaches are very different, and that that's. And like I said, I wouldn't be upset with it. I just, in my personal mind, I would like to have complete, you know, sweep. But that's, I like I said, I would not mind if she got the job. I think she would do a great job. You know, I think she would do a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal with the job. It's just. She's not at the top of my list. That's that's all I'm gonna say, and I, it has to do nothing else. You know, nothing with who she is or what she's accomplished. It's just, I think, in terms of organizational. Like I said, I'm okay with her being the next head coach, if if that's the way the Sixers decide. She's just not my top candidate. I've already said Tyrone lewis we're, we're talking about Becky Hammond potentially becoming the next uh, Sixers head coach. And, you know, being a woman in a, a, a league, you know, predom- dominated by men is obviously very difficult. And Becky Hammond has done a great job. But it's not just the basketball players, it's also basketball media. And uh, Ashley's, be, you know, our only uh, contributor that's a woman on our site. And we're very happy to have her. So she's going to just share some thoughts and feelings about that right now.
2: Um yeah, so I've been working basically in sports for the past three years now. Um, I'm a social media director for Reading United, which is the minor league affiliate for the Philadelphia Union. Um, so of course, like I haven't had um, I haven't had like major issues at being a woman in sports as some other women have, but there definitely are the hardships that I occasionally face, like, people looking over me, people um, just disregarding me or not thinking I know my my stuff, um, just because I'm a woman. And that's kind of how society has placed women in sports, I guess. Um, there definitely has been advancements a lot um, over the years, which is great to see. But, you know, I just try to not really think about that too much and kind of just do my own thing and not let it get to me Um, because I know that what I'm doing is what I love and what I want to keep doing. So just got to keep chugging along and not worry about negativity and everything. So that's where I'm at and hopefully other women do the same. And that's why I think specifically for me, Becky Hammond, would be a great candidate even if not as a Sixers head coach I would love to see her anywhere as an NBA head coach um that would really just I know that would really help my spirits as a woman in sports media um and I know that would help a lot of women try to get into sports more so that would be a really great thing to see
1: so that that's you know that you bring up a very good point there, Ashley, about seeing more women in sports. And the Sixers actually did that last season with Lindsey Harding, who started out mm-hmm. as a scout and then turned into a player development coach. Uh, for you as a fan and also as a woman, how seeing her development and now she's an assistant on the Sacramento Kings, uh, you know, coaching staff. How did that how how did that make you feel? Did it excite you? Like how did Can you put your feelings into perspective for us?
2: Yeah, so that definitely, it showed that women can make their way up in the sports ladder, in the sports world. Um, Like, I'm definitely, like, I'm doing social media work, and that's really what I want to focus on. Um, And it shows that I can work my way up in social media and maybe even branch off and find some other things I want to work in within sports. So that really gave me... um, some hope and some, um, like, I guess, inspiration, uh, to like work at what I'm doing to enter like the professional sports world. Cause that's where I ultimately want to end up. So yeah, that definitely made me feel good. And I hope that other women saw that and they were inspired by that as well.
1: Well, I, I think it's fair to say, Ashley, you're an inspiration in it yourself because not only are you writing for us, <laughs> And uh, by the way, any uh, female, uh, you know, women listeners out there, we are always taking more applications, regardless of gender. So we would love to have you on if you would like to write for us. But Ashley, not only are you writing for us, but like you said, you're doing the social media for the uh, Reading United. And the fact is that you're trying to get your hands into multiple you know situations to figure out what you want to do. I think that's an inspiration in itself. For women that want to be in sports and obviously the sixers have serena Williams. uh, winters not serena williams completely different person but (laughs) serena winters um i mean hey if you want to be serena williams by all means but um, (laughs) you know but my point being is that you know there are definitely women you know and obviously espn boasts some of the best women in basketball like uh, rachel nichols and doris burke i could go on but you get what I'm saying here. So I think, <laughs> you know, don't underestimate what you're doing for women in sports media, even though, you know, it might not seem big, but it, I, I guarantee you it is big, especially for, you know, probably these younger girls that are in high school that see what you're doing. any woman that listens to this pod, this episode tonight, I'm sure that that you're going to make an impact on them on some level.
2: Oh, thank you so much. That I really appreciate that.
1: Chris, did you want to add anything or ask anything?
3: Yeah, no, just thank you, Ashley, for, for sharing all that. I, I think those are very powerful words. And obviously, you've done great work at the site, great work all around. We really suggest that you go check out everything she's written. Um, and yeah, well, Chris, Becky,
1: talk about, uh, sorry, I, I, before you move on, Chris, uh, speaking of Ashley's work, you should bring up that uh, that one very, really good article that she wrote prior to the bubble.
3: Yeah, so, uh, we can talk about that now. Um, Ashley wrote a great piece essentially comparing eight Sixers to eight different Disney characters ahead of the, the bubble in Orlando. Um, I think my favorite one was probably Josh Richardson being compared to Stitch from, uh, Lilo and Stitch. Uh, a great show from my childhood that I had pretty much forgotten about until I read that article. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, um... Ashley, do you have any particular favorites there? Anything you want to talk about before we we maybe dive into it?
2: Um, so this one was probably the most fun article that I've written. And it actually took me a while. It actually took me a while because, um, I couldn't decide on like the comparisons. I had to get a lot of help from people, um, Like, I had to ask a lot of people, you know, like, does this character fit this person? What do you think? Um, So I was very contemplative during this whole thing. But I really like how it turned out. Um, Probably my favorite one would be... uh, I really like the Mike Scott, how I compared him to Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Um, (laughs) Just because he's so energetic and just doesn't have a care in the world and just does his own thing i think that one's pretty fitting
1: yeah i can see that and ashley let me just say i am glad that you took that article because i was thinking to myself nobody takes this i'm not going to be able to think of how characters to compare this to because i i'm not that creative so you definitely brought a creative spark to that that which i think a lot of people who read it appreciate it
3: for oh, sure, and you. I just want to—I want to correct the record here. I—I I, I said she compared Richardson to to Stitch, and she actually compared Matisse, which is probably <laughs> an even more fitting uh, mm-hmm. uh, comparison. So, so Richardson was, uh, I guess, Flick from A Bug's Life. So, good one there too. I haven't seen A Bug's Life in forever. Uh, like I still yeah, have it on for since since I, childhood.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that when you guys put it out there. Um, as an option to write about for all the contributors and uh, Ashley took that when I was, it really, my antenna went up and I said, Oh, I wonder where she's going to go with this. And she definitely delivered. And, uh, you know, just like the other guy said, Ashley, kudos to you. So keep it, keep it coming with that creativity.
3: Thank you. So we're going to move on now and talk about Brett Brown specifically and his legacy in Philadelphia. He spent seven years with the Sixers Dealt with 102 players in three different GMs over that time, underwent an unprecedented amount of change, essentially in a very short period of time. Um, Ashley, how would you personally describe Brett Brown's legacy? What do you think um, you know fans are gonna you know in 10 years when fans look back on Brett Brown, what do you think the the lingering thought is gonna be there?
2: So, I think in like one word, if I had to choose one word to describe it, I would say resilient. Uh, We saw so much passion that he put into fixing this team and how much the players and staff, except for maybe one person, Jimmy Butler, how much people liked him and um, liked uh, playing for him and working with him. Um, He was put into these unheard of situations and tried to make the best of them. Uh, He tried out new things and experimented with what he had and what he was given. And through all that, he stayed around longer than any normal coach probably would have. So I really think he was resilient and all of that. And I know he's had his ups and downs, but I think overall he did the best that he could. And I think that's what people are going to remember of him.
1: So I and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he either the second or third longest tenured coach in Sixers franchise history? Um, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, Like I said, he's the top. He's definitely one of the longest tenured coaches in Sixers franchise history. And for me, when I think about Brett Brown, I think he never got a fair shake because there was always something happening. First, it was the process. Then, you know, then you know his. Then he almost lost his job, and then the roster turnover even after the process was kind of unprecedented if you think about it. The only two players from the team, what, three years uh, from the first playoff victory to now, there's only three players that I can think of, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, Joel, and on Corkmas. Everybody else has been brought in, uh, you know, just so much roster turnover, and you know, I don't think that's fair to Brett and I think, you know, that and just the injuries, I just don't think he, uh, I think he's never gotten a fair shake in, you know, dealing with a healthy, normal NBA roster that, you know, has minimum turnover most of the time. So that's, that's how I will remember him not getting a fair shake.
3: Yeah. I I think, uh, the word you used Ashley, resilience was a really good one. Um, I've been on the record about uh, my thoughts about Brown. You know, I think he's a great coach. I think he did a lot of good work over the past seven years. And I definitely think he should be remembered in a positive light. Um, I think the move to fire him was the right one. But I I don't think it was because of his own, uh, you know, his own doing or anything like that, really. I think it was just circumstantial more than anything else. Um, Again, 102 players over seven years is an insane, like, Incomprehensible number. Um, when you really think about it and put it into perspective, um, in the same Hinkie era, he took so many bullets for that front office. For all the great things Hinkie did, you know, he he was not one to answer uh, to the media. Brett Brown had to le- answer a lot of unanswerable questions that really weren't his to answer. Um, and he did the same thing in the Colangelo era, essentially. Um, He's had to, as you said, Lucas, manage so many different iterations of this roster. He only had Jimmy for a year and they threw in you know the whole bully ball idea with four big men and and zero ball handlers. So he's had to go through different types of offenses, different types of different stages of a rebuild, different management styles up top, different levels of control in the organization. He's endured a whole bunch over these past seven years. And I I really think he deserves major props for what he accomplished, even if the Sixers never got past the second round under his um, tutelage. Um, You know, that image of him after the Sixers won that Miami series, his first series victory, of him getting showered with chocolate milk and water in the locker room uh, after J.J. Redick had him ring the bell is one of my favorite things, and it makes me smile every time it pops up on, on my timeline on Twitter. And... I mean, he's just truly a good dude and someone that I really enjoyed uh, covering and just a good person, you know, in general. Uh, uh-huh. To, you know, I, I'll I'll miss him for sure. I, I think he should be remembered in a very positive way. Agreed.
1: And you know, we talk about the end of Brett Brown era, which I kind of feel is the end of the process. To be honest with you, I feel Brett Brown leaving is the end of the process. So now we're in a new phase. No process could have ended when they made playoffs, but this is, feels like the real end of the process now. But, you know, speaking of the process here, Mike Greenberg of ESPN made a proclamation recently saying the process was a disaster. So my question to you guys is, was a, was the process worth everything the Sixties fans have been through, like trading through Holiday, letting uh, Lou Will go, drafting three centers in the top three uh, in the lottery? Okafor's issues, Colangelo's drama, Fultz's disaster, you know, the Fultz disaster, Simmons's unwillingness to shoot Butler, the Butler saga, um, overpaying Orford and Harris, and now being swept by the Celtics in the first round. Do you think it was worth it, guys?
2: So I... I disagree that the process is over. I think it's still ongoing, but I think there are different ways that you can look at the process, and I think there's so much more to come. Um, so yeah, I I think it was such a painful process that we've gone through so far, but I think there's so much more to see with, especially with Ben and Joe and this whole team. So I think it was worth it for sure because we got. We got Ben and Joe out of it. We've got some other pretty incredible players, so I'm just excited to see what else they can do. I'm excited to see what other players we can bring in the coach that we bring in and so I definitely think it was worth it. I'm excited to see where this team goes in the future
3: so i'm I'm going to take a bit um a bit of a different stance here. I generally subscribe to the the I guess, the concept that the process pretty much ended when Sam Hinkie submitted his resignation. I really don't think it's fair to conflate the legacies of essentially three GMs at this point. Um, to, to say, you know, obviously, Hinkie and Colangelo and Brand all had very different ways of going about things, very different uh, views of this team's uh, you know past and present and future. So to, to say that the process was a disaster, I, I think, is kind of unfairly lobbing blame you know, at Hinky who, who who never really got to see his vision through, because I think it's fair to say that, you know, Brian Calangelo's tenure was a disaster, and that so far the Elton Brand tenure has been a disaster, and that the Sixers in general are a disaster. Sure, all very true. But to say that the process or the idea behind the process, which was to tank and to give the Sixers as many swings as possible in, in that upper draft range was, you know, the problem or a disaster, quote-unquote, uh, I, I don't buy that. I think um, John Hollinger of The Athletic said something that I, I really buy, and it was essentially that the Sixers, the only reason the Sixers aren't totally screwed at this point is because of the process, is because they have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. The only reason that after all these mistakes and all the assets that this front office has bungled, the Congo line of mishaps and incompetence in that front office, after all that, the only reason the Sixers aren't totally screwed and totally out of contention for the immediate future. Is because they have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the roster, because they had all those assets, you know, essentially to kind of, you know, fumble away in the first place. So, no, I I don't think the process was a disaster. The Sixers handling of the assets that the process provided, sure, that was a disaster. But the process itself, the concept behind the process, I I think that ended when, when Hinckley's tenure ended
1: so i'm going to take a different approach than you guys like i said i think the process has ended now that brown's gone because the process was not just hinky it was brown and hinky that took it on together even though hinky was the brains behind it that being said um like chris you said they very poorly managed the roster and the you know the trade and uh, trade assets and the draft assets that hinky had accumulated and to be honest they're the Sixers, I mean, yes, they're more talented than they were in 2012. You can definitely say Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are much more talented than Andre Iguodala and Drew Holiday and Al Bram were. But at the same – we're still in the middle of the East, don't have flex, uh, cap flexibility right now. And uh, the the this team is – unless they can pull off a miracle trade to get rid of Al Horford or Tobias Harris. Uh, preferably Horford over Harris, but um, this team does not look like it has a very positive future in terms of contention as is right now. They need to get they need to hit on the draft and they need to you know move the roster pieces around a little bit and hit in free agency. And right now, you know that 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 was the whole entire point of the process. And now we have to get, we're going okay. back to square one. So I think My- overall the process worked, but um like chris said the handling of where the sixers are now is, is kind of like meh i don't know how else to describe yeah. it i'm just kind of disappointed
3: my 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 one issue with that again is i i really don't know how we can you know tie that and say that was quote unquote part of the process I, maybe i'm tying the process more to Hinky specifically uh, than it should be that's fine if we, we want to talk about the process as like a philosophical movement for the fan base and the organization as a whole, okay, then sure. But the process itself has like, you know, a movement that Hinky started from a, a roster construction standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think there were very clear paths to this team not ending up in the current situation that it ended up in. You know, mm-hmm. you re-sign Jimmy Butler or you maybe handle the draft picks more intelligently, make smarter moves around the margin Uh, you know, the Sixers could have handled these things so much better. And uh, I just don't think that falls under the umbrella of the process. At least for me, it doesn't, I, 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 I just, I struggled to put Colangelo and brand specifically, you know, in that, under that umbrella. So I don't know. Um, so, but yeah, obviously right now where they currently are, it's a mess.
1: So, so let me just clarify something. I see the process as two steps. The first part of the process that's when hinkie was involved that was getting the draft assets getting all the trade assets building t- tearing the team down getting the superstars that you need and then starting to build around those superstars that's what hinkie did and then the second part was leading that that core to a championship that's where Brian, uh, brown was so that and yeah it was under different gms and that's where it messed up because it didn't stay under Hinky. but i think Overall, it still was worth it. It's just now that, you know, the second half of the process didn't work. The process is two steps in my opinion, not just one. Yeah. And that's, okay. that, I think that's, that's where we, I don't know if that's where we agree or not disagree, but that's, that's how I view it. The first half, it was complete success. The second half was building around those, those, you know, young stars and trade assets, using them properly, and having the coach prep Brown lead that team to a championship. And that's where it failed.
3: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll just, one more thing. I apologize. Um, mm-hmm. I guess in that sense, I don't think the the concept behind the process, like the ideology was the problem, which I think is where a lot of people are going, is that the idea of tanking and doing what the Sixers did doesn't work. And I think you can argue that the execution was poor, but the idea, the idea behind it was, was spot on, I think. So yeah, I think yeah, that, that's an important distinction maybe to
1: drop here. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So I think it's time, Uriah. I think it's time for our social media question of the week. Here we go, guys. So the
0: social media question of the week, we posted it on uh, Facebook and Twitter. It says, what do you think about Elton Brand not making Embiid and Simmons available for trades? This was a hot topic. A lot of people chimed in. We'll start on Facebook. Uh, Bryce Benjamin, this was his response. He said, honestly, we don't know if he'll trade them or not. Every smart general manager will say a player isn't available, even if they are. Makes their value greater. Hopefully he doesn't trade either one and actually builds this team around them. And then in all caps, he said, more shooters. So that was on Facebook. And then on Twitter, we had St- uh, Staven Desai. Staven Desai said, basically, in response, "Is Brand available for trades?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> not so, anymore.
0: I, I well, think maybe. we know how he. I think we know how he feels about Elton Brand. Uh, Ashley, what do you? What do you think about Brand coming out saying Embiid and Simmons are not available for trade?
2: I mean, I'm a super optimistic person, I guess according to everything that I've answered so far. But I'm super into it. I lowered my shoulders a bit because I don't really think either of these two should be leaving the Sixers anytime soon. Um, I think there's so much more that these guys can prove and work on together. So I think we just need to find the right players to actually surround them um, so that they can actually work together in the right way that I guess we want to see and that will hopefully bring Philadelphia a championship uh, so yeah I'm super static but I mean like uh, the person on Facebook I guess said a lot of GMs are smart and they say this to up their value even they say that they're not going to trade them and they're off the block but you know they they can do whatever they want they, they could go behind the city's back and go ahead and trade one of them so but I I really don't think that's going to happen but it's definitely a possibility even if it's a small one
3: I totally agree Ashley in that the Sixers absolutely should not trade one of them um I've been pretty strong in that viewpoint um, here on the podcast in the past it just really the logic behind it doesn't make sense to me uh you got two under 26 year old superstars top 20, 25 guys in the league, both of them. Um, There's just really no reason to break that up. You have to do a better job as the front office of building around them and complementing them. We have plenty of evidence of this duo working and being productive, maybe the most productive duo in basketball at times in the past that has happened. It's on the record. We've seen it. So we know that they can work together, even if the fit isn't perfect. Um, You know, Simmons is going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation for the next decade, possibly. Joel has been in that conversation in the past as well. Um, and, and it's just, I, I don't see a reason to trade him. You know, if Damian Lillard all of a sudden demands a trade, or, or James Harden wants out of Houston, okay, then we can talk. But until someone demonstrably better than Simmons, or God forbid, Embiid, you know, demands a trade, I, I really don't. Really have any interest in engaging in that conversation because they're just too good, and they're on contracts for the next three, four years at least, both of them. So y- you stick with it because there's, there's no reason not to.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with y'all. You, you don't trade them. I think Bram was smart. Also, I think Ashley was right on saying that you're not gonna trade your best one of your best players because you know then you're not gonna get nearly as much for them. Uh, I think I think. Chris brought up a good point. If anybody's gonna leave, it sounds like it's gonna be Joel based on on his comments after the playoff loss. He kind of left it like he didn't nobody brought up the idea of him being traded, but he did. So that's a little concern. But overall I think Brand's making the right move here. You gotta try to work it out. You gotta try whatever you can to get off of Horford and preferably Tobias Harris's contracts. Uh, it's going to be hard this next season because we don't know what the financial state of the NBA is going to be. But, um, you know, one can only hope. And uh, I said on the last podcast, I, actually, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it yet, but I said the only way that I would trade Joel Embiid is, uh, for example, it would have to be a package similar to uh, if the Timberwolves wanted Joel Embiid, they would have to offer me Carl Anthony Towns, the first overall pick, plus extra to get me interested. Like it's gonna take a lot for 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 the Sixers. It should take a lot for the Sixers to consider trading one of those superstars, and you know that's just how I feel about it. I know uh, Uriah has a different take. U- no, Uriah, ben. you want to just you want to share that real quick? Just, just hey, look, real quick. Ben is the man.
0: That he's 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 the future of the franchise. We can't move him. I mean. It might all Philadelphia might collapse. You know, yeah. William Penn's gonna fall yeah. off his statue if we <laughs> trade trade Ben Simmons. It's it's just look, I I tried to hang in there with Ben, but I, I just in my article I wrote, I, I just really tried to analyze his psyche. And if you look at him from childhood, he's always been the biggest, fastest player on the court. And old habits are hard to break. And for him to all of a sudden be a shooter or spread the floor to create space, I just don't see it. So while he has value now, he just had a great defensive year. Maybe he fits better on another team that likes to run and gun. Maybe we need a a point guard that can run a pick and roll and shoot an open three and 80% from the free throw line. So I think Ben is an amazing player. I just don't think he's going to be an amazing player for us. I think it's going to be the same thing over again next year (laughs) I know you guys love Ben I just I'm not I'm he just fell out of favor I I
1: get I I get what you're saying Uriah I'm not I'm not completely disagreeing with you in the fact that his mentality is definitely a big issue for the Sixers I just if anything I I I would kind of feel more comfortable building around Ben than than uh, Joel at this point if anything just based off what Joel said after the series and just the trend of today's NBA. But that being said, I would
3: still keep both of them. Okay. I, I will disagree with you, Rat, And I, <laughs> I'll i go as far as to say that... Bring it, Chris. The, the Sixers... <laughs> there's a version of this Sixers team that can win a championship without Ben shooting a single three. I think that's very possible. I think they probably had that with Jimmy, and they kind of screwed it over. Um, but well, Hold I mean, up. Was it really... T- was-
1: no, that, that shot by Kawhi screwed us over, because I don't think Jimmy yeah. was coming back with
3: But, okay, fair. But even so, you got one of the best defenders in basketball, maybe the top answer in the league to guys like Kawhi and LeBron, and maybe more Tatum. closer to home, Jason Tatum, yes. Um, one of the biggest three-point generators in the league, even with a Sixers team that, like, is – incompetent from behind the arc half the time (laughs) he created he he created more threes than just about anyone else despite the Sixers you know not shooting at all you put shooters next to him obviously that helps quite a bit uh something to think about if you're Elton Brand I mean he he I, I do generally again I think he's one of the 20 best players in basketball as is without any improvements he's you you mentioned him being the biggest and fastest player on the court in high school, Uriah, he's still that most nights in the NBA. So you know, I, I, I don't. I think he tries hard. Obviously on defense, his effort there is tremendous. Uh, I, I do think there's maybe a bit of a mental hurdle he still hasn't cleared with his jumper. Sure, and obviously, would it help if he became you know a corner shooter? Yes, of course. But even if that doesn't happen, he's just too good and too valuable as is. Uh, to, to trade at this point, especially if it's for someone who isn't you know, on the same level. And you, you have him on contract for the next five years. He's 24. He's got so much time to grow and learn, even from this point. Embiid has said consistently that he wants to finish his career next to Ben and that he wants to finish his career in Philly even after the playoff loss. He said that's still his goal. So there's no indication that they don't get along. There's no indication that they don't want to play together until that changes I, I just really do I, I don't I don't see it I don't I can't get behind it
0: well we will yeah. definitely we will definitely find out for sure and whatever moves brand makes maybe uh, maybe the if he brings in shooters that will open up things and they'll get back to what it was two years ago and I mean look I, I want the sixers to win and I'll just have to agree to disagree I just don't think Simmons is is a fit for this team, and it'll be the same old, same old thing next year.
1: Everybody's waiting for Ben to shoot, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it might be. But like Chris said, and like you know, I said that yeah, I, if I trade one of them, I'm trading him beat over Simmons. But at the same point, I still believe no. you keep them both together. Hold up, Chris, you don't think that you no. keeps you? Okay, no, 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 no. I okay. So well, this is mine my... later. Yeah, no, we'll talk about this off off this, but let because well, we or next episode, but no. Nah. Anyway, so we're gonna. I think it's a good point because we could go another half hour for this if you yeah. wanted to Let's wrap yeah. it up.
3: Yeah, just a big thank you again to Ashley for coming on the podcast. She's done great work at the site, which you can read. Um, we I highly suggest that you do so. You can follow her on Twitter at ashleyfoltz 10 um, not to be confused with the Fultz of Markel variety, Um, F-O-L-T-Z, you know, follow her, read her work. It's it's all very good. So thank you again, Ashley, for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. This is my first podcast I've been on. Uh, Not going to lie. I was a little nervous. I'm a better writer than I am a speaker, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Well, we enjoyed having you on, you know, you can always sign up to do another podcast we'd love to have you back on for sure. And you did great, too. So don't worry about it.
3: Thank yeah, you. <laughs> for sure. Great job. And as always, you can listen to and subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spreaker, Google Play, wherever you're listening. We really do appreciate any positive reviews or constructive criticisms that you have. Um, and we always just really appreciate you guys giving us the time of week. Taking an hour out of your busy schedules, I'm sure, to, to talk Sixers basketball it means the world to us. And we have some very exciting uh, guests and episode topics coming up here in the future. And we can't wait to share all that with you. So we'll be back again next week. And thanks, everyone, for listening.